Today, we're gonna speak to somebody who spent 15 years working as a trained social worker, then pivoted to Amazon. Our trip will take us from retail arbitrage to FBA to even running your own warehouse. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Serious Sellers Podcast by Helium 10. I'm your host, Bradley Sutton, and this is the show that is BS-free, completely unscripted and unrehearsed. It's going to be an organic conversation about serious strategies for serious sellers of any level in the e-commerce world. And we've got a serious seller on today. We've got Andy Slamens. Andy, how's it going, my man? Good. How are you doing, Bradley? I'm really looking forward to, uh, to hanging out with you for the next half hour, 45 minutes. Let's do it. Let's do it. Now, you and I met like a year and a half ago, almost at SellerCon in Orlando. And like, man, it's we both like are in a completely different place uh, since then. We've both come a long ways. And it's kind of cool. You know, we were introduced by Paul Miller, our mutual friend, right? That's right. I think we had lunch at the uh, Mexican restaurant. I can't remember the name of it. Yes, yes. Uh, actually, it was it was a Caribbean. Uh, what was it called? Bahama, Bahama Breeze. Yes, there we go. Bahama right, Breeze. That's right. Yeah. That was good. That was good times. Now that was, you know, again, I just met you a year and a half ago. Your story goes back even further. I always like starting these interviews with the origin story. And even though I've known you now for over a year, I never really have gone that far back in time. So were you born and raised in Pennsylvania or where are you originally from? Yeah, so I'm originally from Aurora, Illinois, um, famous for the home of Wayne's World. The folks that are my age or older probably remember that show. Wayne's World, party time, excellent. (laughs) (laughs) It's about 40 miles west of Chicago. So that's where I was born and raised, diehard uh, Chicago Bears and diehard Chicago Cubs fan. I'm sorry about that. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Excuse me. Uh, But anyways, okay. so did you go to college over there? So I actually went to college near Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, uh, a small, okay. small school there, studied social work, had nothing to do with, with business. And, I love uh, it. and so, yeah, that's how I, how I started. Love it. All right. So social work, you graduate with your social work education. What was some of your first gainful employment that you were doing back in the day? Yeah. So I was working with youth, uh, in the inner city of Philadelphia, Uh, Did that for about three years and then transitioned to a residential boarding school for kids that are financially needy in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and did that for 15 years uh, prior to uh, starting on Amazon. How does one go from from doing social work and helping the needy and then, you know, running this this uh, what, what was it that you were running for the 15 years again? Uh, yeah, so I was a, a house parent, lived with 12 uh, high school boys um, who were uh, socially and financially needy, um, did that for 15 years. I thought I was going to retire from there. And uh, and then a friend introduced me to selling on Amazon. So I just started doing it like as a side hustle, kind of uh, get my mind off of my regular job. And that was in 2013. And it took off so fast that my wife and I had to make a decision. Either we had to scale the side hustle Amazon business down. I think I did one hundred and twenty thousand part time that that first year or we were going to have to transition out of this uh, chosen career that we had. And we decided to jump and go all in on Amazon. 
Wow. So was this all arbitrage back in those days that you were doing or did you have your own private label or what? Yeah. It where did that 120,000? It was a hundred percent arbitrage. So I started just by selling stuff around my house, sold my old college textbooks, then would go to thrift stores um, and um, scan. Uh, so they have these scanning apps where you just scan the barcode, compare it against the price on Amazon. Then I um, leveled up, started uh, doing the same thing, but going to stores like Walmart, Target, um, looking at their clearance shelves, buying hot toys, uh, you know, that would um, not be available in certain areas. And uh, and then just kind of moved up from there and then transitioned into private label. So obviously, you know, the arbitrage model, it requires a lot of time. Like you just said, you actually got to physically go to these stores. So then you were kind of, you know, since you were still running the home, it was kind of capped out on your time. So that's why you guys decided to just go all in on Amazon full time then? Yeah, absolutely. We we saw the opportunity. We saw how um, the Amazon sales channel, you know, at that time, again, 2013, 2014, it was still growing, you know, at a tremendous rate year over year. And then we just saw the, the um, huge advantage of FBA. So I think that started around 2006, 2007. Uh, being able to send your inventory in and then Amazon hand in all the fulfillment. And, and then we caught the vision, like what a great way to, you can scale a massive business with a limited amount of infrastructure because Amazon's handling all the heavy lifting. Yeah. So until what year were you like 100% arbitrage? Um, so yeah, even like, so I, I started selling on Amazon, uh, did a part-time for 18 months, then went full-time. Um, and right when I went full-time, I started working on my private label products. Uh, and so I was not, I don't like to shop. Uh, and I know some sellers who actually do five to $7 million a year doing that very thing that I started out doing. They just go to stores, uh, you know, purchase things and then resell them on Amazon. They do, you know, very well. I knew for me, I didn't want to build out the system or the processes or hire the amount of employees that that needed to scale up. So that's why private label to me was so attractive. Being able to send in a thousand units of the same thing uh, at one time. And, you know, it's like a replant item. So when I went full time, uh, still continue to do the arbitrage. Uh, I had certain stores here in my area where when I went to shop at them, I would always find product because the great thing about arbitrage for folks that don't have a lot of capital. Um, and that was me when I first started out. You know, it allows you to build up that capital. And because it's name brand products, the turnover is super fast. Uh, and so it gives you that needed cash flow. So I continued to do that, then started working on my private label products. And my first private label product in 2013 was one that was probably already too saturated. Um, I shouldn't have started with it, but I was new. Um, and so just trying to figure out the process. It was a silicone kitchen spatula set. I, I thought you were going to say that. I was like, what? I was like, silicone. Don't tell me he's going to say spatula. That, that's like cliche almost. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. So now. I'm curious about the arbitrage. You know, we're going to talk a little bit in a, in a little bit about how you still do that a little bit, but like back in the glory days when you were really hitting it hard, what are a couple of crazy stories you can give me about? Like I found a 75 tickle me Elmo's for $10 and sold it for 50 or, or what are some amazing flips or amazing runs sure. that you've had in your day? Yeah. Yeah. So one of my honey holes was a scratch and dent grocery store. Uh, you know, they they would get items. They're probably buying up, you know, by the pallet, pennies on the pound. And one of my f 
first and best items were crystal light. So um, there is a huge appetite on Amazon for crystal light. And this, if you search crystal light on Amazon, you'll see there's a ton of different listings. And so I would buy this crystal light, um, you know, at the scratch and dent uh, grocery store. And then I would bundle them and I would multi-pack them, you know, and then um, create new variations basically on, on existing listings. And, uh, and I was making money hand over fist in the summertime, super low ranks. So that was one of my um, really good ones. And then another one that I hit uh, which turned out to be tremendous was there's um, I cannot think of the movie, but it has Mater in it. Um, it's the car race movie. It's a cartoon. But basically, there were these these cars. They were Mater bubble blower mowers, you know, something like a kid two, <laughs> okay. two or three years old would use. And uh, and I was buying those for fifteen dollars and selling them for seventy five, eighty dollars. And so what I would do is I would just in my region, I hit every single store that had those, bought them up, sent them into Amazon, and they would sell, you know, basically overnight as soon as it hit FBA. Wow. So what was, you know, when you did put more time into it, I'm assuming the next year, maybe you made more than 120,000 on arbitrage. So what do you think was your peak that you made when you were doing it more? I know you're not doing it as much now, but what was the peak you made in a year just on arbitrage alone, would you say? Yeah. So when I went full time, I was still doing it, you know, really heavy uh, that second or my first year full time. I did four hundred and twenty thousand. And that was all pretty much um, what we call retail arbitrage. And and then the next year after that, I was probably still 70, 80 percent. I did about eight hundred and fifty thousand. Uh, and so, I mean, you're able to scale up really fast if you're willing to put in the work and kind of have boots on the ground. And you're willing to hit those stores and scan. The great thing about retail arbitrage, so there's two kinds. There's online arbitrage, which a lot of people do, you know, where you buy products online, have them shipped to you, right? And then resend them to Amazon. And then there's what it's called retail arbitrage, where you're going to go in the stores yourself or you have people shopping for you. The retail arbitrage is actually better because there's there's um, less competition, you know, obviously, if you're doing online arbitrage, if I'm ordering stuff from Walmart, that means everybody across the country can order that same product. Whereas if you're doing retail arbitrage, you're in those unique yeah. stores, you're only going to buy what's on the shelf. And so, you know, generally you're going to have less competition. And the margins are going to be better. OK, so was it just you and your wife like hitting hitting these stores or did you did you have to hire a team? I mean, it to me, like to be able to buy stuff that would sell for eight hundred thousand dollars a year, if it's I can't imagine that was just you going to stores, was it? Yeah, so that was that wow. that was just me, That's crazy. Um, you know, hitting the stores. Now, uh, along with that, with the second year, there were there were some online arbitrage buys as well. Um, but, yeah, it was just me hitting the stores. And I know quite a few sellers who do in the million to $2 million range. And they're the only employee of their business. Mm. Now there are people who say, Oh no, it's hundred percent private label. Now online arbitrage, retail arbitrage is dead, but you still are actively doing arbitrage. Correct. I, I do in the fourth quarter. I will still search and scan for deals. I uh, have products either shipped to my home here or uh, to my warehouse. Cause I always say like, it's hard, you know, just to pass up those products. It would be like walking by a hundred dollar bill. Most people wouldn't do that. Now this requires a little more work, but it's almost that simple. 
Now I remember seeing on your Facebook last year, I, I forgot what, what it was, it was Home Depot or something, but, but didn't you find a really good one last year that you were able to buy up a whole bunch and send it into Amazon? Yeah. Yeah. So last uh, Q4, I, I think I made between 150, $175,000 worth of purchases all online um, from, from Home Depot. Um, and again, just was able to, um, to send that right into Amazon and it sells super good, super low ranks. What's your target? I mean, obviously I'm sure you have your own system like, okay, let me calculate what FBA is going to take out. Let me calculate what I can sell it for and what I pay for. But like, what's your target profit margin that you have when, when you're, when you're trying to decide on it, whether you should pull the trigger on buying something or not? Yeah. So for me, you know, if it's something that's really low ranked and I, you know, the old saying is, you know, do you want to, um, slow dime or a fast nickel. Uh, and so if the product is, you know, decently ranked and I would say, you know, if it's under 5,000, almost in any category, it's going to sell relatively quickly. I'm okay. I don't do an ROI, but I'm okay putting in the work. If I'm going to make $10, if I'm going to net $10 on that product. Okay. Uh, and, and then for me now, like, as I, as I scaled up, I'm not going to buy a product unless I can, you know, purchase 20 or more of that item. Uh, it's just more efficient. Uh, it doesn't take as long when you're bagging and tagging. And for me, where I am, when I when I send in 20 or more of an item, Amazon ships it to a warehouse that's really close. So the shipping fees are, are real minimal. Okay. All right. So retail arbitrage, guys, it's still something, especially, you know, like Andy said, for those who may have the goal of private label, but maybe just don't have enough capital in order to invest in something. That's a, a one way that you can, you know, help get some cash flow going and be able to build some of that capital so that you can, you know, make your first private label order and don't do a silicone spatula like Andy did. But <clears throat> back in those days, and, and I, would say, I would say this too. It's a great way to learn the Amazon ecosystem. Oh, you know, indeed, yeah. um, I mean, honestly, like to do private label right now, and we'll probably get into this in a little bit, it, you you need a large amount of capital. And so if you're just if you're new to Amazon and you're in that type type of situation where you don't have ten thousand, twenty thousand dollars in the bank, it really is helpful to learn the Amazon ecosystem first, I think, uh, before you kind of dive all in with private label. Yeah, I 100 percent agree. Now, speaking of diving into private label, that's kind of what you did, you know, a few years ago. So what were some of the like pitfalls that maybe you had or I mean, other than just, you know, getting into a category that was too saturated, like the spatula. But what were some other like, can you give us the bad news for us? Well, what, what's a couple of horror stories that you can give us? I don't know if we have enough time for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of potholes, uh, a lot of bat battle scars uh, I've acquired over the last four and a half years uh, that I've been doing private label. Um, and, you know, the first one is what we just talked about. Uh, when you're new to it, you don't understand necessarily how to vet the competition uh, of the products that you're trying to private label. And that's probably where I see the most people get hurt now is they pick a product uh, that is too saturated and they don't have the marketing budget um, in place mm -hmm. to get to that first page of search. You know, there, there are some people, if you got the marketing budget, you can pick a product that's saturated as long as you're willing to throw a lot of money at it, right? To, yeah. to rank your product organically. And you can do that through PPC or other means. Uh, and so that's definitely where I, I got hurt the most uh, was picking products that were too saturated that were kind of the typical uh, can fit in a shoebox, um, you know, cost less than $20. 
And, and those are the ones, you know, that all the other sellers on Amazon are going after. And particularly, I think they're the ones that Chinese sellers are really dialed in on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and so you have to be careful picking lower price products that are really simple uh, because that's where you can really get hurt when you don't analyze the competition uh, properly. I agree. I agree. That, absolutely. So what are some of the like success stories that like maybe something like you had this product that you were only paying $3, but you know, we're selling it for like 25 or you just had, you know, sole position in a niche for months and months or, or where's what, what's a cool story, bro, that you, yeah, that you so, can give us. Yeah. You know, one, one of my, my second actually private label product, um, that I did is still one of my top selling brands. And so a lot of people question, wow. you know, what's the shelf life, right. Of a product. Well, I can tell you that, um, the shelf life, if you get in early to the niche, uh, and, and you're one of the first to market and you're able to build up, uh, those reviews, it can last a while. So I've been selling this product now for um, four years. Uh, it's still one of my my top selling brands. Uh, I'll do my net profit on this brand will be between eighty and ninety thousand dollars this year, and I'll sell probably around four hundred thousand dollars worth. Uh, and and the reason why I think it's had that prolonged shelf life is I was one of the first to market w- with with these products, and I was just able to build up those reviews, and 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 they were all built up organically. Um, uh, and so you know Amazon, uh, when you've been in stock for that amount of time, that I think they definitely favor um, you know my listings. Uh, I've been consistent. Uh, don't stock out. The reviews are all four and a half stars or better. So it, it's been challenging for my competitors to really, um, you know, kind of come up and supplant me in search for those products. So, yeah, that was, you know, my second one. And, and I hit it really good. Now, so that's the good part of the story. I'll share with you kind of the bad part because you asked okay. about the pitfalls earlier. It was my second product, started selling right away. Huge amount of success. Margins are really good on it. Um, but unfortunately, back then, I didn't know, um, you know what I know now. It, and I really should have focused a lot more on this brand and then branching out other products around mm. this niche. But what I did is I kind of set it and forget it. And I started chasing other shiny objects in Uh-oh. other other categories, um, and unfortunately, you know, had some some ones that just didn't hit. Um, and so, if I could rewind and go back uh, to when I started this brand, I would have most definitely just continued to really build this out. It was a home run product, and I kind of left it like an orphan because it continues to sell well, right? Uh, and, and so, I thought I could just set it on autopilot, let it sell. And then chase other stuff. When in high, uh, hindsight, I would have built out this brand, and and I see uh, other folks doing that. And so that's why I say, like, once you've once you do hit, you know, a product that's a home run, then look at variations. Look at other products that are similar. Build that brand out. Don't start to chase other yeah. products. That's great. That's great advice. And and you kind of did that with, with the other one, and that's why it it's been able to maintain for these last four years where sometimes people do a product and it only lasts like six months and they got to get out of it, you know? So that's really, that's really great advice. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, and so that that brand is like on autopilot. It's doing really well. Um, I had another brand. I actually partnered uh, with another seller on um, that is in a totally different category. Uh, and, you know, partnerships are kind of interesting. I don't know if we'll talk about this or not. You can do partnerships mm-hmm. in different ways. But basically, on this partnership, I provided the capital and the Amazon expertise. And then he provided kind of the knowledge and the infrastructure um, to bring this product to market, as well as the fulfillment that that went behind it. So that's kind of how the partnership worked. Um, and uh, it was a great partnership. We grew the brand uh, the last year that I was part of it. And we'd actually sell. I would sell from my account. He would sell from his account. Uh, we grew it to $1.8 million. Um, and wow. then I actually just recently sold my equity to, equity to him in, in the month of March. So it wasn't like a life-changing amount of money, but it was, you know, six figures. And, and it definitely helps to, you know, give me more capital push toward other brands. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, one thing that I find really interesting, and I've been pushing this for a while to people, but I still don't see them catching on because it's it's the background I come from and it's having your own warehouse. You know, it's not for everybody, but it definitely is for you. If anybody follows Andy on Facebook or Instagram, you'll see many a shirtless picture of him in his warehouse, uh, showing off his muscles, working and unloading containers and things like that. (laughs) But at what point did you get your own warehouse or did you open your own space? And what was the original motivation behind that? Yeah, so I was using third-party warehouses um, to to fulfill my products and send them into Amazon as well as for storage. Because generally, you know, on a per pallet basis, if you use a third-party warehouse, you can save twenty to twenty-five dollars per pallet per month um, instead of just sending it all into Amazon. So, um, you know, originally that's what I was doing. I would, you know, import um, my product from China and I would send it in. But the problem is, is the supply chain and managing the supply chain. So I always like to have four to six months worth of inventory here on USA soil. I only sell on Amazon.com and USA. Uh, okay. And, uh, you know, the struggle is because the supply chain can get elongated when you're working with manufacturers for whatever reasons for holidays. Like right now is the mid autumn festival in China. And and so, you know, for the next five days, I can't reach anyone, uh, you know, that I'm working with because they're all on holiday. And and so, you know, those kind of hiccups will come into the supply chain. So I want to have four to six months always um, on on USA soil. Well, when you start using third party warehouses and you're talking two or three containers of storage, you know, for those three to four months that the product's not in Amazon, it's really just a math problem. So you have to do the math, (laughs) see how much it's costing you, and then see how much it would cost for you to rent, you know, a a warehouse. And that's what I do right now. And I come out way ahead as well as I'm able to be a little more agile. Uh, And so, you know, if my products do need, if the box needs to be opened up for whatever reason, you know, if I need to inspect it for whatever reason, I have it right there and I'm able to do that. So I think that's kind of the advantage of having your own warehouse. Now, like, do you recommend this to, to people of all levels, like at least, you know, start from your own garage or, or 
at what level is like, would somebody know like, Hey, I'm ready to, to make this leap to, you know, sign a lease. I mean, cause it's, it's, it's not an easy thing. I mean, it's not like, Oh yeah, let me just go out and rent a warehouse. No, so, you know, sometimes you got to sign a two year lease. And so it's kind of a big step. So how does somebody know if they need it and if they're ready for it? Yeah. So I'm always, um, about bootstrapping. And so, you know, my house was at capacity. Uh, my basement was full. My garage was full. Uh, my wife was, was, you know, not very happy because there were boxes everywhere. And, mm-hmm. and so I knew like I was bursting at the seams, like it was time for me as well as I was using these third party warehouses. So I knew it was time for me to take my work out of the house and then, you know, um, use warehouse, get warehouse space. Again, it's really a math problem. And so, you know, one thing I find often uh, is Amazon sellers don't know their numbers, you know, because a lot of times, you know, we're gifted at finding products. We're maybe a little more visionary or creative, right? We're building this brand. And so we we're not like in the nitty gritty details of of the financial aspects of the business. And again, that's where I see a lot of people fail. Like you absolutely have to know your numbers. You have to know what you're spending, right? Every month in those Amazon storage feeds, what you're spending every month in those third-party warehouse fulfillment and storage fees. And then you do the math and you see if it's going to be better for you. You know, uh, again, I think your business needs to be growing. I, I wouldn't recommend someone doing it unless they're doing, you know, a million dollars and up a year. Um, but once you hit that million dollar level, I think it's definitely worth looking into, Hey, do I need to get more space? Now, do you also do fulfilled by merchant? Do you dual list any of your SKUs as fulfilled by merchant out of your warehouse? Yeah. So, um, there's a a number of them that we do. Uh, I partner uh, my warehouse. I share with, with another seller. So he is actually there every single day. Uh, and so he's able to cover for me if I get merchant fulfilled orders, he can ship those out for me. Uh, and which it gives me again, the freedom. I go into the warehouse usually one or two days a week. Um, and, but because he's there, he's able to do that for me. Yeah. I mean, I I do think merchant fulfilling is the future and especially, um, Amazon seller fulfill prime. So Amazon, Mm -hmm. as they continue to push, you know, their one day delivery as they continue to push their two hour delivery, which yeah. maybe we'll get into in a little bit, which I think is going to totally change the game. And Amazon just going to continue to blow up like like a rocket ship. Um, you know, when they hit that two hour delivery mark, just imagine the customers. Why would I go to a Home Depot that takes me 45 minutes to get to 45 minutes to get back? I have to wait in line. When I can order something on Amazon and have it show up at my doorstep in two hours. And that's where we're going with that. And I think that's why Amazon, too, as they um, work with third party sellers, you know, if I can do self fulfill prime from my warehouse, I'm going to be able to hit a lot of areas right there locally, um, you know, within that one day window. Okay. yeah, I agree. And then also, too, I think what a lot of people don't realize is there are a lot of people out there who don't have Amazon prime. I mean, not a lot, not percentage wise, but just because of the number of Amazon buyers, there are the number of people who don't have prime is kind of a big number. And what happens is if it's under that, I don't know what it is, 25 or $35 where you get the free shipping, even if you don't have prime, like, let's say I got here in front of me, a Mason jar, you know, like this probably would be like $6 on Amazon or, or maybe $11. But if you try and add that to the cart and you don't have prime, it's going to add like $8 of shipping. So all of a sudden this $11 Mason jar 
now is $19. And guess what? You just lost that customer because they add it to their cart. They look, you know what? I'm not going to pay $19 for this. They're going to look for somebody else who's got it for cheaper. Now, maybe it looks like everybody's got the same price of $11. But what happens is if somebody has a fulfilled by merchant, they still can fulfill it for $11, you know, because they're going to use the postal system or whatever to ship it. And, and they're, they're making just as much profit in the order as if they were doing a prime. But that guy, since he had two, he had a dual listing, he had the FBA and a merchant fulfilled, he got the sale and you didn't because you only had that FBA listing. And, and I, I believe you probably have a lot of customers that, that I mean, cause like for, for me, there's like no reason I've tested this so many times. There's like literally no reason for somebody to get the merchant fulfilled listing because uh, it's not in the buy box. A lot of times it's even priced higher. It's like somebody had to have clicked through and did it. It doesn't make any sense that they would have, I mean, who would want us five day shipping as opposed to two day shipping. So that's my theory that, Hey, these are the great majority are the people who probably can't order the prime because it prices them out. What, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, yeah. So there's still a lot of folks out there that, you know, don't have prime. And so they're okay getting a merchant fulfilled, y you know, uh, going back to what I was saying earlier. And this is the thing I think like a lot of folks don't understand. Uh, there's a huge cultural shift that's been happening for the last 10 years, but I think it's just going to continue to speed up. And, and this is my indicator why. So I've been to China now for uh, the last 18 months. I've been there three or four times. And I think Asian countries now are usually a couple years ahead of where we are in the West and trends. Uh, and, and if you go to some of these big cities in China, like uh, Shanghai, Guangzhou, you're going to see or Beijing. I was just in, in, in the spring when you're walking the streets, you're, you're lucky if you don't get hit by these electric scooters that oh, all yeah. have these big boxes on the back that are delivering goods to um, local folks that yep. live in Beijing. Um, I'm, I'm talking thousands upon thousands because the cultural shift is more and more people are becoming comfortable with ordering things online. In fact, I just saw in China now, like in these big cities, a lot of folks will order their lunch and their dinner online because it's actually cheaper. So these companies that are like Uber Eats, you know, are like yeah. DoorDash, they're subsidizing basically the some of these uh, restaurant uh, meals. And so the, the, the patron can actually get it cheaper getting delivered to their door than if they were to walk to the restaurant. And I'll be honest, um, I think here in the U.S., we're going that exact same way. And you can see already like the different uh, food delivery services, again, like Uber Eats, like yep. DoorDash, they're just blowing up. And, you know, so if I talk to people that are local to me, more and more they order from services like that. And so that's why I think, you know, I feel like I'm living the dream. Uh, you know, I kind of hit the lottery at the right time by being able to jump on the Amazon sales channel. I agree. Now, a couple of things, you know, you have a lot of, you know, background, you know, on arbitrage, on private label and warehousing and logistics. And because of that knowledge, you know, you've, you've made a few courses and, and actually I've taken, you know, even my family's taken your course. You know, that was one of the first courses that we took on Amazon, the amazing freedom. So if people want to, you know, you know, learn from you, reach out for you, how, do, how can they find the Amazing Freedom course and how can they reach out to you? Yeah. So, um, you know, my partner, I think he's been on your podcast for Leron Hirschkorn. Yep. He's pretty much at 
any event that's Amazon related uh, throughout the country uh, does a number of over overseas ones as well. The best way is probably just to reach out to us on Facebook. Um, you know, again, we have a Facebook group. It's, it's amazing freedom. Uh, we're both uh, pretty accessible through messenger as well. Uh, and uh, so that's probably the best way. Awesome. Awesome. Andy, thank you so much for your time on here. And look forward to seeing you at one of these next events. We always have a good time when we hang out together. All right. Thanks for having me on, Bradley. All right. We'll see you later. Quick note, guys. Don't forget that regardless where you are listening to this podcast, whether it's on your iPhone or on Stitcher or on Spotify, that you hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified every time we drop a new episode.